Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome, everyone. This is Rachel Hutchison. I have the honor and pleasure of leading global social responsibility at Blackboard. And I am here today on a new episode of the SG Engage podcast with Tashawn Macon. Tashawn is the Senior Vice President of Marketing, Branding, and Social Justice Strategy for Bridge Philanthropic Consulting. And Bridge is a fellow member with Blackboard of the Giving Institute. So, so Tashawn, it is really great to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's my pleasure. So first of all, my first question, since I'm always super interested just about people, and I know our SG Engage podcast listeners who are either nonprofits or leaders of companies or just interested in social innovation um, would be interested as well. So just tell us a little bit about you. Um, my name is Tashawn Macon. I serve as a, a culturalist and a futurist in the spaces that intersect between pop culture, policy, politics, and philanthropy. Uh, I started my career at a little uh, a company that was a startup, a small company, five boxes, five people. That company became LaFace Records. And I was responsible for the marketing and strategy for the careers of artists, artists such as TLC, Tony Braxton, Outkast, Usher, Pink, Tony Rich, a, a host of them, Grammy Award winning artists and, and initiatives like the, the Boomerang album and a lot of other projects in that way. I was then uh, recruited by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, Andre Young. The, the world would know him as Dr. Dre. Uh, I know him as Andre Young and Dr. Dre. And I launched his career once he made a decision to pivot from working with Death Row. Did a lot of work uh, for him. Launched the careers of Eminem, 50 Cent on his behalf. And what has become Beats did the early business plan for what has now become Beats and Beats by Dre. So that's my career around pop culture. And it was very, very expansive. Uh, went on to lead uh, branding and partnerships media for, for T-Mobile USA. Did a lot of work around the who's in, ideated Who's in Your Fave 5. Did a lot of work there. Um, did a lot of work around the World Cup. So I've been involved in the integration and the strategy of how you leverage pop culture and passion platforms to drive cultural change uh, for a very long time and how we activate those in ways that are meaningful, even on projects like Rock the Vote, in which I, I was a part of, um, even projects like the Red Campaign, which was I, I was a stakeholder and decision maker and ideator for that. Been doing a lot of work in that space, even the Yes We Can campaign, as recent as Stacey Abrams' campaign. So yes, been doing a lot of work in, in that regard. There was so much in that intro that was so fantastic. The World Cup, soccer's my favorite sport, red, rock the vote, social change. You have such a fascinating background. So I'd love to talk about all of that, but today we're here to talk about African-American philanthropy. So I have a question for you. And, and first, I'd like for you to answer what Rich Philanthropic Consulting is, and then why your firm decided to launch the Iconic Impact Series, which focuses on the history of multicultural mm -hmm. philanthropy. So take it away. Absolutely. So Rich Philanthropic Consulting exists because it rose to the occasion of innovation 
At the time, there was an RFP for a fundraising firm for the National Museum of African American Arts and, and History and Science. And at the time, no fundraising firm existed. So our fearless leader, uh, CEO and co-founder Dwayne Ashley stepped into that blue space and that white space and said, um, there's enough talent out in the space that we can galvanize our resources and our intellectual power to form a firm that can advance the causes of multicultural organizations that oftentimes do not receive the recognition or the resources for their work in the space. So that's how Bridge Philanthropic Consulting began. And it has been successfully doing at work for the last five years, advancing the missions of organizations of color that often need the resources and relationships and support that BPC can bring to bear. Bridge Philanthropic Consulting is the only African-American owned and operated firm globally, fundraising firm globally. We've raised to date over $800 million for organizations of color, and we're tracking to be the first billion dollar firm in the space. Um, That is our commitment. That is our mission and, and more of that even beyond. So that is who we are from a background perspective. What led to the iconic impact series was the truth and the notion that philanthropy as multicultural people experience it, that story wasn't being told. And the narrative and the narrative arc of those persons was not in the ethos of culture. We thought it was valuable that we introduce that narrative, that we introduce that nuanced approach to to fundraising or to philanthropy and how it is lived out. The lived out experience of philanthropy for people of color is very different than the mainstream context of it. So the Iconic Impact Series was, the origin of it was, how do we leverage the power of storytelling to bring these nuanced narrative truths to the marketplace in a meaningful way that would help evolve philanthropy, disrupt the sector in a good way, Because the disruption we're after is how do we drive dialogue, discussion? Um, How do we drive change, dismantling of perceptions? Uh, We have to dismantle perceptions before we can dismantle anything else. So we wanted to, to do that with the series. Well, that's, again, that's, there's a whole lot of, of wonderful in that too. The $800 million that you've helped raise is terrific. And, and that I love what you talked about that, the narrative truths, telling the narrative truths. Um, Blackboard is based in Charleston, South Carolina, and we made our first million dollar gift to the International African American Museum that's being built here. And part of that was to really help retell history and lift up stories that many people have never heard before that are really important stories in the history of our country. So you mentioned that the narrative arc, the lived experience, and that a lot of people just don't know the stories. And I know that to be true in my own life. I've been looking through your iconic impact series, and there's so much that I have learned myself. So can you talk a little bit about the history of African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans as philanthropic leaders? Yes. What I will say is that the framework of philanthropy 
in the multicultural experience or the context of our cultural experience actually foundationally begins at home. So you have, even in the Native American experience, Hispanic American experience, Asian American experience, and the African American experience, what you have is how we have historically had to, due to societal issues, societal structures and systems that were prohibitive for people of color, we've had to advance our own from within our own. So I'll give an example of how in a Hispanic American community, it is not uncommon for the neighbor to see a child that has the ability to go far beyond their social location and that community rally around that child, right? That's philanthropy. They will buy an extra pair of shoes. They will buy school uniforms. They will, they will spread the word about the, the value and the viability of this young person's ability to go further than their social location. You find it in the African-American context, the same, the same ethos, uh, whether it's a student or in the African-American church. The African-American church is probably one of the philanthropic pillars of our cultural experience. So we are giving, uh, Hispanic Americans are giving, Native Americans are giving. It's simply not tracked or counted in the traditional philanthropic sense. And because it's not, there is a myth that the community may not be givers, which isn't true. The, the wealth creation in the African-American and Hispanic-American communities and Asian-American communities are, are at a pace that's unprecedented in any other era of our time. The distinction is the dominant perspective has not known how to engage them to dialogue, to dissect ways that are meaningful to the context of their lived out experience so that you can engage them in a way that is true. Part of that begins with culturally nuanced communications, understanding how to speak the language and shape and share the stories that are true for their lived experience so that they're able to engage with it. That's what I would say. Have I answered your question? Oh, wow. Yeah, you certainly answered my question. And, and Blackwood did a study, gosh, it must have been, it might have been even 2016, it was a while ago, where we looked at African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans. And we said, this is what the population is today. This is what the population will percentage will look like at 30 years, clearly looking at um, the country becoming even more uh, diverse. But the study found that these three groups were not being engaged in what you call the dominant perspective in the methods of philanthropy that many organizations use today, but that they were in fact very philanthropic, just not you know, the, the channels and methods that many nonprofits were using were just simply not um, intersecting with these communities. Right. So that's, that's really fascinating. So, so where, do, where should we go from here? There's so much I want to ask you. So let's talk about pioneers. So who are some of the pioneers you, you would point to as being particularly influential to philanthropy today? From a historical context, I will speak around, I'll give you a couple of names. Uh, I would say we just released a jazz and philanthropy series. You have, and this is, this is from a standpoint of pop culture, very relevant. You have Billie Holiday, um, you have Nina Simone, you have Ray Charles, you have 
again, you can go on our website, Bridge Philanthropic Consulting or bpc.fund, and you can look at the Iconic Impact Series. You will see we are, from a historical arc, we are bringing forward a plethora of people who are talent, icons, influencers, individuals who really were integral to the civil rights movement of 1960 and the Civil Rights Act. Uh, And they leveraged their platform to advance the the rights and and, and justice for people of color. Uh, And so we have, that's a good example. Cicely Tyson, another icon who recently transitioned was very much under the radar. Prince, another icon, very much under the radar. Prince was a very huge advocate of environmental justice. Quietly, very few people knew that. If we move forward into present day, you have, uh, and I'm just giving you context for people that names may be known, though we have a BPC, what we do from a strategic perspective as a culturalist and futurist, what I what I do is keep my my brain, my mind power, and my mind power of the team on the pulse of those who are emerging, established, and expanding. So I have three tiers of philanthropists across pop culture platforms that I can touch at any given time. So if we talk about environmental justice, we can talk about Prince, like we can talk about SZA, right? Who is hugely, we can talk about Don Cheadle with environmental justice. So we have a lot of ways, Robert Smith, who is changing the landscape for wealth creation for people of color, who primarily over-index with student loans. And the reality is, There's this golden, what we call the, it's beyond, Rachel, the golden handcuffs. We've moved to the golden cubicle. And what I mean by that is the system or the structures of corporate America state that in order to advance, you have to acquire more degrees. But the data shows that the more degrees people receive of color, they don't necessarily advance financially. So really what you're doing is creating a debt cycle, right? The, de- the data shows that African-American women are the most degreed woman in the workplace, but she is still the least paid. So if I'm going to college as an African-American woman or a Hispanic-American woman to get a degree, but all I'm going to do is get a degree, but with this degree, I'm going to get debt because I won't get promoted, right? And so therefore I cannot create wealth generation. So Robert... Smith's philosophy around attacking the systems that prohibit wealth generation, addressing it from a more creative approach is game-changing with his 2% model. We have LeBron James, who is uh, addressing philanthropy by virtue of changing the educational arc of children in Cleveland and what that looks like. And it's not simply uh, that He's actually leveraging, he's been able to galvanize other players to say, listen, there's economic power in our galvanizing for change. This isn't a desire to hold anyone hostage. This is a desire to level the playing field in a way that is healthy, hopeful, and helpful for the whole, right? If we can get this right, 
Then the Citibank report stated that 19 slavery or systemic systemic injustice has cost this country $19 trillion. Like that's a lot of money to protect systems and structures that really add no value to the bottom line or to the betterment yeah. of society. Yeah, I, I've taken some racial equity institute training, and it was fascinating to basically be taken through um, the history of policy yes. over the past, you know, yes. 200, 300 yes. years in the U.S., kind of going back to Pocahontas and yes. looking again yes. at the New Deal and looking at mortgage redlining and, and what you talk about, about wealth creation and the the structures and the systems that were put in place to, to limit wealth creation. Yeah, um, limiting Really fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, but you've mentioned some really wonderful people who, who a lot of people probably don't know much. I mean, we hear a little bit about LeBron uh, James and what he's doing in Cleveland. These are, are really um, uh, wonderful examples. And if, if I know we're going to ask you to, to tell everybody where they can go to actually read these stories for themselves at the end, but, but do you have advice for organizations who are looking to adopt a more diverse approach to their fundraising strategies so that they can tap into these communities that are deeply generous, but they might not have engaged with before? Oh, absolutely. I think it is a great time. If there ever was a time to be authentic, it's now. (laughs) Um, I think that we, Bridge Philanthropic Consulting has been contacted a lot in this racial reckoning moment, this watershed moment of culture around how do we engage donors of color or, you know, BIPOC? And what we've been saying is that we definitely are poised to be your partner to, to share the landscape with, from a strategic perspective that is authentic and is true and, and actionable. What we discover, though, is that we do have to communicate to our partners with, with real care is that there has to be a commitment to this initiative. It can't be opportunistic. It has to be a way that you optimize your business or you optimize the mission or you optimize the purpose of the organization. If it is not that, and what what I mean by optimize is fund the initiative, hire the talent to focus on it and understand that it's a long game. You can't, you know, not engaging people of color and then all of a sudden engaging them for 90 days and then asking for money, it comes off as quite disingenuous and it comes off as very opportunistic. But if the interest is really in cultivating a pipeline of donors in an authentic way that happen to be people of color, then grant them the same strategy or grant that segment or sector of your strategy the same approach as you do anyone else. You finance it, you fund it, you're committed to it, and you see it as you see it as a long-term strategy. So that's what I would say. That would be my recommendation. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and this is all great wisdom, you know, it's not even just a, a project, it's really an integrated part of your strategy yes. and it starts at the strategy level. And if you don't do that, then it's going to be pretty obvious and it's going to be short term. And and it also takes kind of looking inward at your own teams and, you know, who you have representing you and how you're cultivating your own pipeline and what you're thinking as an organization and becoming more just aware 
And to me, it's about relationships and relationships mean talking to people and then listening to people, um, which I think we have a whole lot of catch up to do over time. True. So but it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> yeah. So do you have an example, one example you want to of success that you want to share with us before I ask you about where people can learn more? Well, we don't necessarily have the case of success just yet. To be honest, we're really only in the 12th month. We're a year from what I call the trifecta of trauma that hit this nation. Um, we had Ahmaud Arbery in March, Breonna Taylor in April, George Floyd in May. We're 12 months, one year, literally almost to the date today of that, tri that trifecta of trauma. So we've gotten a lot of interest, genuine, authentic, valued interest from organizations that have contacted us. We're doing great work with them. We're selective about the clients we do take on because it is important that those organizations align with our missions and our values uh, at BPC. So if we revisit this conversation in six months or 12 months, I will have a case for success for you. Right now, we are in the process of doing a lot of assessments for organizations showing them the road forward, laying out a blueprint. And then once we lay out the blueprint, they have the opportunity to then merchandise it within their organization to see if they would like to make the commitment from um, people power and finances to reap a return on investment. Yeah. And that was actually probably an unfair question. I love the trifecta is a very good point, but I, I'll take you up on that. I would love to have you come back in six months to a year and, and talk about, you know, more about what you've learned and what you've seen and what you see that's changing. I think that that's one of the big hopes that a lot of people have that last year was very disruptive and it was very painful, yes. but from that, we hope that there is change that will move us beyond in a way that it hasn't over the past couple of decades. Agreed. So I'm going to call you back okay. and have you have you come back on so that, that we can get an update. So you've said so many really interesting things, and I would love for our listeners to be able to learn more and to you know look at this series that you've you've developed and you continue to to add to. So where can people who are listening to this podcast find out more? Sure, you can visit. B as in boy, P as in Paul, C as in cat, bpc.fund, like F-U-N-D. And when you visit our website, you will find the Iconic Impact Series. And all of the papers we've written around this topic are featured there for you to download, review, and enjoy. We're hopeful that you will do so. Um, I did want to just circle back again, one of our most prominent uh, releases was WAP, Women in Protest, where we showcased 12 women who were using their platform to advance social justice in ways that predate the 60s. Um, and so we wanted to uh, bring that to their attention as well. So final question for you, Tashawn, what are you hopeful about today? I am hopeful that the interest, the interest around this topic is so high that it is difficult not to be hopeful, right? I'm very, very hopeful around the interest. I am also hopeful that 
as organizations engage with BPC and others, this interest will um, convert to an initiative of implementation. And that's how we're going to see change. We have to activate. We have to, there has to be action items, actionable outcomes. And I'm hopeful of that. I think there's a lot of interest. And I do believe that this interest is going to shift to implementation. I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. Well, I join you in being hopeful about that. It feels like there's something that's a little bit different this time, and, and there's still much work to do for a very long time. But Tashawn, I want to thank you for joining us today on this podcast. It's been really wonderful to get to know you a bit and to hear your perspectives. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you for inviting uh, BPC and myself to this conversation. Thank you to your audience for making the time to listen, to hear, and, and your audience is important as we advance this mission forward. What I often say is you really can't gain ground unless you have a ground game and you need people. People create the ground game. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful thing. And I love that you said that you not only have to listen, but you also have to hear, yes. which can be a struggle for everyone in, in their lives. Yes. So um, to Sean, thank you again. Thank you. And to the... SG Engage podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. And uh, I hope you also check out our other episodes that are available and of interest to anybody involved in social good in any way. So this is Rachel Hutchison signing out.